Right, welcome back to my podcast, Stephen Sully Study. I've got a future world champion in front of me, Michael Condon. Thank you very much for your time, and um, it's going to be a great episode, mate. Yes, mate, I'm looking forward to it. I've been watching for a while now, and uh, I'm a big fan. Obviously, seeing seeing you on the hills every Saturday morning, um, and then finding that you do this, and I've watched stands, I've watched Harlem's, I watched the girl who does the ace baths and stuff. Yeah, um, is it, uh, what was her name, the uh, Burmese Python? Yeah, I actually bought one of their, her ace baths All right. uh, from your show, so... Um, yeah, I've, uh, I'm a fan. Oh, I really appreciate it. I've got to say, though, I've got to confess, the uh, Saturdays I haven't been doing recently due to my my baby boy, but I'm going to be back I'm on the it. Same. I'm the same. I haven't been there because I, I tore my hamstring in my last fight, so I should be back this Saturday. Good man. Right, me too, then. So um, I've got the pleasure of actually training down your same gym, Boxing Booth. I don't obviously see you too much down there because I'm I'm first person down there and I'm I'm out there with within the hour and I know you professionals are there, are there during the day. But Charlie B is a really good friend of mine. I knew Charlie when he had like to lift and like to fight back in the yeah. day, and then he obviously moved over with Adam Booth. And I get to pick his brain all the time. I mean, if you ask him, I'm always asking about you guys because I get a lot of inspiration and I'm very very intrigued, like with your mindset, your routine, and and all that kind of stuff. I think it's fascinating. Um, am I right in saying you're like you are the most decorated Irish amateur? Yeah, yeah? correct. Actually, five years ago to the day. I won the world championship. Still, only Irish man ever. So he, Charlie said to me, and I, I, I'm, I'm going to please understand this when I can, and when we're allowed over there, I'm definitely going to come to Madison Square Garden and 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 witness what Charlie keeps on telling me. He says that when he when he went over there with you and you walked out, he said you cannot believe the response and the reaction that the crowd has when they see you walk down. What's that like? Like, as a young man, 29 years of age, okay, what is that like walking out to, it's not even your, your home, but it's a home from home almost. Yeah, yeah. What's that like when you walk out? Uh, listen, it's a special, special feeling. Um, you know, I always mess up with the Charlie Town. I'm, I'm, I'm the king of New York, and I think when he went and seen, <laughs> when he went and seen what, what it was like, he was yeah. like, you actually are. But no, it's special. Listen, I think it's, in my opinion, it's being Irish. You know, Irish people are in every pocket of the world. No matter where you go, you'll find an Irish bar or you'll you'll meet Irish people. So one thing is we're, we're all very patriotic and, uh, and we all really do support <coughs> each other. And I think that's that's one of the main things. You see loads of the expats and, you know, a lot of, so much people travel over and stuff. And maybe because what I've done, the amateurs, but also... My own talents and then adding being Irish to it, you know, helps. Yeah. Um, I feel like the age of like someone like a Conor McGregor, it seems like everyone sort of claims they're a little bit Irish these days. I'm actually quarter Irish, uh, I, I believe it or not. <laughs> I've, my granddad was from Ca County Mayo. Oh, um, and I went there a few years ago because I had never, ever been there. I've been to Dublin, you know, obviously yeah, on a stag, stag do, but never, the West. never done proper islands, you know, like what, you know, uh, certain different pockets, you know, like Cork and places like that. Yeah. Beautiful. Really, really lovely. It's, in my opinion, it's the best place in the world. Um, obviously, I'm biased in marriage, but for everything, for safety, for family, for, for community, it's a real special place, Ireland. I think um, the Irish are known in my mind for two things. It's heart and it is that sort of 
togetherness. You know, they support each other. And I think, again, through fighters, uh, yourself and many others, you can see that. Why do you think that is? How come you guys, how come the Irish have got so much heart and so much family-like bond? You know what? Uh, I know the reason we have so much heart is because we're a nation which has been, been fighting for you know, independence, for everything, for, for hundreds of years. Um, and, and we're just, you know, we're the kin where we have that small man syndrome, small country <laughs> syndrome, yeah. where you know, we, we actually are big, we are strong. And we like to show it and prove it all the time. So, um, yeah, we're, we're we're just a fighting kind of people, um, and that's where the heart kind of comes from. And you know, to to, to together togetherness. Sorry, um, yeah, it's just maybe maybe the way it is. I, I'm unsure. I, I, there's not many other countries in the world which are like Ireland when it comes to that. You see, even in the football, mm. even when we're doing bad or we're losing, they're still singing, they're still cheering. Yeah, um, they're all just very very supportive. Yeah. Um, so on this podcast, I want to talk about obviously boxing and and some of your fights and uh, your career so far. Yep. I do want to talk about when you walked out with Conor McGregor because that was that for me was amazing. Um, I think I think boxing is not just about the boxing; it is about you know everything else that comes with it. The show before the show, the show, uh, the energy, the excitement, um, and you know the razzle and dazzle and stuff. And then um, you know stuff outside of boxing because I know you're a big advocate of like mental health um i think in ireland i read there's there was quite a lot of suicides there was an epidemic over there and you you've been quite outspoken about that um and also about your childhood so let's start from the top then so i know your dad was a boxer yeah john yeah your brother jamie um i think he got to like european level is that right yeah he fought for world title um you know he was w european champion Retired, nineteen wins, one loss. He lost that uh, when he lost for the world title. He, he just says, "That's me. I'm done." And now he's took control of my career, and he manages my career. And you know, we've actually went out and started our own kind of management and promotional setup in in Conlon Boxing now. So, um, it's a new venture for us, and something we're really excited about. Yeah, that's great. That's great. So, um, the fighting spirit's always been in you. Because, always in the family. Yeah. Because in, so so by your dad and your brother, who else boxes? Yeah, so I, I have, there's, there's four of us in terms of the boys, there's no girls in my family, um, four brothers, we all boxed only, you know, me and, me and my brother Jamie, who's the oldest, we are the ones that stuck to it, my, my father was our coach, and yeah, that was it, you know, down the lane of family and stuff, not many people boxed in, in, in our family, but my father was always a big fan of boxing, obviously competed a bit when he was younger. Never really to any high level or high standard, but just love boxing. And from a young age, we were always watching boxing, staying up to watch the boxing. And it was just something that was in the household. The Olympic Games was on every year. My father was a sports fanatic. And the Olympic Games, every 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 time they were on, every four years, we were watching. And my first actual, one of my first memories of, of boxing was, you know, I think it was either the 2000 Olympics or the 2004 Olympics. Um, just going to push that a little bit closer. Yeah, no worries. Uh, so yeah, it was it was one of them, and I I said I remember saying to my my father, and I'll I'll be I'll go be at the Olympics one day, and you know I've done it twice. So um, yeah, it was it was always just something that was in the family. So is it fair to say that you found your calling quite early on? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I started boxing when I was seven. My older bro- my two older brothers who who started before me, um, they kind of 
they were kind of put in the boxing more so to learn how to defend themselves where I just wanted to be like them so I followed them to the gym and you know since then you know it was me I I I done it out of enjoyment rather than being pushed into it mm. I think that's one of my friend <coughs> my, my the second oldest that's why I think he stopped he he didn't enjoy it as much as what me and Jamie would have and my youngest brother he had he he had one fight he lost he retired he came back when he was 16 he had one fight he lost and he retired so he says that's not for me mm. so um yeah it's it's something that you know, I I knew from a young age I was going to be a fighter uh, I knew I was going to be a boxer and I, I always loved the game of hitting and not getting hit uh, and just taunting my opponents from a young age I was the kind of I was I was a little can you curse I was a little bastard in, in, in the ring like I was sitting laughing and sticking my tongue at people and when you're a kid your uh, people's emotions are high so kids were crying and stuff but <laughs> and I was always the smallest too I was always really small for my age um so I was always sparring the bigger kids and I was just tormenting them, and you know, I I just love that kind of mental game of boxing. Yeah, and it was amazing. When I asked Harlem, actually, I think it was uh, it's almost coming up to a year since I interviewed him, and I said, uh, "What's it like to spar someone like Mick or someone like a Josh Kelly or or whoever?" And he said, "I remember what he said about you." He said, um, "Mick is very very intelligent in the ring." He said, "If you've got a um, if you've got an asset, say like you're strong or you're bigger." He would use that against you. Yeah. So, what would you say defines you as a great boxer or fighter? Is it the IQ? Is it your fitness? I think it's my ability to be adaptable and and change at any moment of time. So, most I, I can I can fight in any stance. I can fight I can fight going forward. I can fight going back, and I kind of figure out. I never really go into a fight with a game plan. I always just I I, I there is like a sort of game plan before going in. But I know within 10 seconds what I'm going to do, or with 20 seconds it'll take me just to kind of look, see how it's moving, see how things are going, and I'll change it right from there. And I think you can see in my last few fights where you know, I came out as an orthodox, and within 20 seconds I knew that I would have to fight my last fight as a southpaw. Mm. So I changed that right away, and I think that's my best strength and best asset, that I, I'm very, very adaptable to whatever is going on in the ring. Yeah, because... I was actually going to raise this because interestingly enough, when you go onto a boxer's profile, Wikipedia page or something like that, it would yeah. always say your stance yeah. and your every single place I've looked is <laughs> orthodox and southpaw. Yeah. Whereas you go to one, I know you pick out any fighter and you're pretty much guaranteed yeah. you're going to have one or the other. I know what I am. I'm orthodox. Most, most fighters are, yeah. but that's quite interesting because most boxers, they all can do it to a sort of certain level, yeah. but when they're in another stance, let's say they're typically orthodox and they're going to Southpaw, you can clearly see they're not really yeah. meant to be in that Southpaw stance, but you you're you're you just seem seem like you can you can do both quite easily. Yeah. It was something how that came around, you know, I think I was like it would have been about fourteen or fifteen, it would have been my second kind of all Ireland championship. And this kid who was just naturally bigger, even though we were the same he was naturally bigger and stronger. And the first round he ran out and he had me stuck stuck in the corner and it, I couldn't get in. He was just punching, punching, punching. By the time I got out, the round that ended, because it was only two minute rounds at the time, and the next round I came out and he came, I came up at the corner and I turned into Southpaw by accident and landed with a right hook and he just fell through the ropes. So the rest of that fight, 
every time he came at me, I stayed southpaw and just hooked him, hooked him, hooked him. I ended up winning the fight. So from then, I was like 14, obviously. But I, I think I was doing it younger, but not knowing I was doing it. But that's when I kind of had the, the, the mindset that I knew I could do it without any problems. If I was in trouble, it would get me out of trouble. So that's when I started to do it. And and then since then, I've, it's just been part of my game. Yeah. The, the, the kind of most significant time I'd done it was the 2012 Olympics. The medal fight for for to get into the semifinals. So I fought a guy called Nordino Bali, who was very highly rated. Um, I had only, my first world championship was 2011, and I ended up beating him in that there. He was ranked number two in the world. So I changed Southpaw in that fight, but in the Olympic Games, in the quarterfinal Olympic Games, I ended up doing it again, uh, facing him again for, for the medal. Yeah. And the exact same thing, turned Southpaw and just fought him in his own game. And uh, and that was, I think, when people noticed it an awful lot when, it, when I'd done it then, because it was live on TV and it was the stance which I wasn't meant to be in, as they say. Yeah. And I was just able to do it naturally. Because... <laughs> What I write about it as well, going back to like how natural you make it, it's it's quite a risky thing to do. From my this is from my perspective, yeah. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong. This is just my take on it. Yeah. I'm obviously a big boxing fan. I watch it, and I've obviously you know fought myself. I've had 15 fights myself, yeah. and occasionally I've had a moment where I switch, and I think I'm vulnerable here. Yeah. Um, it's when Mayweather fought Conor McGregor. He actually said that. In the build-up, when Connor was putting up a lot of uh, videos of himself training, he said, "If he keeps on switching stance, yeah. he's going to lose energy." Yeah, and I think there's quite a lot of truth in that because if you don't do it right or you do it for the showmanship rather than actually a strategy, you can actually start losing a bit of energy, yeah, and so it can, a, you might confuse yourself. A lot of people do it because they have no other options, or they're tired and they're trying to save a bit of time, so they'll give a different look to kind of go oh, well, I'm doing something different and try to make you think about something. But it does take a lot of energy if you don't know what you're doing. But if sometimes when you know what you're doing, it saves a lot of energy. Because yeah. it does give you that extra bit of time. It does give you a different kind of look where your opponent has to readjust what they're doing. So, yeah, um, yeah, I agree with, with, with what Floyd's saying for people who don't understand boxing. Yeah. And they're just doing it not like without knowing. Yeah. So, you know, when you know what you're doing, it's, it's not too bad. And um, on the final note, note of this, I'm quite uh, blessed that I've got someone like Charlie because where he's working with Adam and where he's working with you guys, whatever you guys do, it sort of filters down to us later on. Yeah. And there's this one bit where you're doing the pads orthodox and as he comes forward, you sort of pivot back and now you're in your southpaw stance and you hit, hit the pads. Yeah. I've definitely not perfected it, <laughs> but I can see the, the logic behind it. Yeah. Um, but it yeah. Cre- it creates the gap, gives That's you a bigger it. room. Also, setting a different a different look of uh, for your opponent, so um, it's very very good if you can get it on board. Because if you think about it, if you step back, you're only stepping back so much. But if you switch stance when you step back, it's a bigger step without using as much energy as well. So yeah, um, yeah, it's uh, it, when you get that down, you'll 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 notice. So you said you started boxing at seven, right? Um, I started boxing at 14, and the biggest regret I've got is I didn't start, start earlier. Mm. It's not because I didn't want to. It's because yeah. my mum wouldn't let me. My mum and dad were uh, divorced uh, quite a, a, at an early age, and I was with my mum most of the time. Yeah. And her perception, and I think most people's perceptions, is that boxing's violent, and you're going to get hurt and even maybe killed, and you're going to get brain damage, etc. Now, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Violence is 
is a part of it, but it can be controlled and it can be professional. And if you're doing it right with the right team and right people looking after you, it yeah. could be a really, really good thing to do. Um, I'm pushing to get my son to start doing it. He's only three years of age. And obviously my, my second one is you know six weeks old now. Yeah. I want him to get into boxing. Not necessarily because I want them to become world champion. If they do, great, and I'll be supporting them. But it's the mindset. I think the mindset and the confidence it gives young people, female and male, yeah. is second to none. Um, would you say that, you know, having sport as part of, sorry, boxing as part of schools would really help with some of the younger people's kind of confidence? It's, so I'm actually, I'm, I like this question. It's a very good question because... For me, being a boxer and doing it my life, doing it at the highest level, reaching the highest heights, which I have done. If you ask me, will you put your son in boxing? I really know. I'll not put my son in boxing because I know the struggles it's putting me through to get to where I got, I, I've got to, and it's been tough. Do I want my son to have to do that? No, because I have done it. First up, boxing is a working class sport. It's, it's it's a way for working class people to kind of get out, in my opinion. Well, in Belfast, that's what, mm. what it always seemed. Um, and it was good that I was good at it because it's got, to me, got me to where I got to. But I've done everything and I've I've struggled to where I've got to and I, I, now I'm here. I don't want my son to have to do that. There's much easier ways to earn a living, so to say, than, 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 than boxing. But on the flip side, for discipline... For attitude, for training, for fitness, for health, for mental health, everything. Boxing is unbelievable. It's a sport mm. that can change lives. And if you are from the, them kind of areas, it's a sport that can save your life proper. And, you know, I don't know where I would be right now if it wasn't for boxing. I'm very, very blessed to, to be where I'm at and very grateful. But I, I wouldn't want my son to be competing at the highest level, but I definitely would want them to take part in training and even competing to some sort of level, but you know, not at least with, doing not, sparring. Not, 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 not with, not with the goal, not with <clears> the goal to go, listen, this is, I want to be my career. And if it happens, it happens. There's nothing you can do about it. Once you get that boxing bug, you know, yourself, you have it. It's hard to ever mm. move that. So, you know, because I've done it so long, I wouldn't want my son to have to do what I've I've done to get to where I got to. But at the same time, I do want him to kind of be involved in sport in some form. Um, if it's boxing, it's boxing. If it's a different sport, it's a different sport. But I always want him to kind of do boxing because the self-discipline, the respect, everything you, you, you gain from, from the sport is unbelievable. Yeah. I, I've got to say, like, um, with boxing... Without boxing, I don't think I would have got into business for myself. Mm. I feel like if you can go into a boxing gym, yeah. it's quite intimidating for the first time. Character building is unbelievable. Yeah. Character building. Mm. Then when you start doing sparring, I feel like if you can weather that mm. and without getting too emotional, you know, getting angry, you know, shouting and screaming, and you can just deal with it and embrace it and then come back methodically with a plan, yeah. you can also do that in business because metaphorically life is like a sparring match or like a fight yeah. sometimes you're on the attack yeah. business is going well flourishing yeah. the sun is out you feel great on top of, on top of the world and then coronavirus hits pandemic hits a recession hits people lose their jobs and i feel like that boxing gives you the calmness mm. you know even when things are not going so right and you're against the ropes 
you can, you can come story. back. Yeah. And I just think that that's sometimes what I think the younger generation, you know, the real young who are coming yeah. up, they're missing. There's a thing called like the snowflake kind of yeah. uh, culture at the moment. Yeah. And is everything Everybody got, wants to be an influencer. Everybody wants yeah. to be all make money the easiest way yeah. they can, where sometimes it's just doing the working hard. You got to grit down. You got yeah. to bite down your gum shield. Yeah. Whether, whether that is like you're actually doing that yeah. in a, in a fight, or things are not going so well, you got to push on, man. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the wellness company I'm part of has got a few questions. As I mentioned, I'm going to ask you at the end of the, the podcast, and there's loads of stuff. They highlighted one thing to me, and uh, it's a bit of a hard question, but I want to ask it. If I was going to ask you this outside of this environment, it would be a bit intrusive. Mm. But where I'm a podcaster. I feel I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it at you. So they they said that um, your before you got into boxing or maybe at the start, drink was there drugs was there stuff like that? Um, I was actually quite surprised to hear that because when I see you boot up Box Hill and you're absolutely obliterating it, and obviously see you on TV and see when you go to the mecca of boxing, which is in New York, it's them two worlds see far far apart. I almost couldn't believe it. So could you share some of that stuff? Yeah, well, like from, it was actually germ boxing when <coughs> I was a kid. I was a, a very good liar uh, and I could hide things very, uh, really, really well. So I won my first national title my first year in boxing, so I was 11. My first year in uh, competing in boxing, so I was you're 11 at that age when you're able to compete where you get a winner or a loser. Yeah. Um, and after that, you know, I started to fall into, like, my mates, my friends and stuff, they all were taking, like, Smoking weed and then you know, taking ease and then mixing with cocaine and and drinking and stuff and it was just like it was normal. You know, my miss brother was a drug dealer, so he was getting all this stuff for us and it was crazy. And uh, from a young age, I started to kind of dabble in that stuff and and kind of go deep into it. Um, but boxing was always there. I was always doing boxing throughout this. Like sometimes my father was my coach and I was going to the gym and I would have been drinking. But I was able to hate it. I was a good liar. So it was like, you know, nobody really knew. Um, I, I, I was always afraid of my brothers ever finding it because I know they would have killed me because they always raved about me. They were always saying, he's unbelievable. He's the best out of all of us now. It's here from a young age, that kind of confidence building. But in my own other life, I was I was doing things which I shouldn't have been doing. I was, you know, fucking. I was taking ease now every single night. I was taking ease and going in the bed and sharing a room with two other brothers. And I was I was like thinking I was dreaming. I was talking. They were going, "What? What are you saying?" I said, oh, no. It was like mental. It was crazy. I was I was living a double life. And throughout those years, I was still doing really well in the fighting. Now I won the, the national title in my first year. The second year I got to the final, but I won everything else. I lost in the final. Third year was the same. Fourth year, I think, was the kind of same. And then I started to kind of screw my head on a bit because I had to go to the Commonwealth Youth Games and I was told, listen, you're going to get you know, drug tested when you're at this. And I was like, fuck, if my dad ever finds out that I'm dead, not a chance. So I kind of just started to knock it on the head. But like throughout those years, I've tried every fucking, every drug, like, you know what I mean? So um, do I regret it? Not one bit because... It's made me who I am now. It means I've tried it, so I'll never want to... I don't ever want to try it again, because I've done it, I've experienced it. Fantastic times, yes. But do I need to do it again? No, I've, I've done it. I, I actually wouldn't have the balls to do it anymore. So, mm. um, yeah, it's listen, it's life experiences and, and things you go through. So, 
Yeah, I could have went down the wrong route, but boxing again trained me back and kind of took me away from you know something that could have been you know disastrous for my life. Yeah, I mean it's an uh, inspiring story. On the last note of that, um, sort of dabbling with it when you were younger, can you see how? Younger people get pulled into drugs and they don't massively, come back out. Massively, massively. I have friends who've committed suicide. Um, you know, they're drug addicts who are drug dealers. Oh, it's a lifestyle that is hard to kind of get away from. And if you don't have a good support system, or you have the wrong support system around you, you're kind of you know. You can be screwed there and mm. unless you have that kind of bulletproof mindset where you can just focus on what you want and get away from what you need whenever you can. But as you know, it, addiction is a very awful thing and, and something that, you know, is hard to explain for a lot of people and hard hard to explain for people who are not addicted to anything. Yeah. Um, you know, trying to understand how someone can just say, no, I'm not doing that is, you know, you, go, well, you just say that, but you can't, there's something deeper in, in the mind and in the body, which doesn't let them. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's, it was a very dangerous route for me to kind of dabble with. Um, and I could have went the wrong way. And I can see how a lot of people do go the wrong way because there is, you know, unbelievable times doing all that stuff. But yeah. at the same time, it's not the lifestyle you want to live forever. Oh, of course not. I mean, look, there's, there's no doubt um, when when I've dropped a knee in uh, in Ibiza and you're on a beach a beach club somewhere or you're in yeah. a club, you're fucking flying. It's great. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt when people say that they just say all the bad stuff about drugs. Yeah, all of that is true. But in that moment, it's amazing. But one thing I know about it, my brother's had some really bad times with certain drugs. My uncle, my uncle died from drugs. My, one or the other one. My dad's from. Um, siblings are seven so he's got one sister and the rest of the boys and two of the uncles have already died due to drugs um one of them had a stroke and then the other one just collapsed recently in the last few months so i understand that it's actually eventually a loser's game yeah. if you're in it yeah. and you're in it for too long it's gonna it's gonna it's gonna fuck you up basically Definitely, yeah. um right let's talk about more about your boxing so the thing that stands out if you put your name into the internet yeah. is some of the images uh, of you at the Rio Olympic Games. Yeah. And this is why I personally uh, like love your story because you're kind of black and white and you're quite kind of raw with your personality. Yeah. I think that shows up in your boxing style as well. Talk to us about the, the Rio when, um, is it Vlad Vladimir uh, Nikitin? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, obviously got that win. How was you feeling at that point? And I know you must have answered this so many times yeah. and you're probably quite sick of people asking you, but I want to hear it straight from the horse's yeah. mouth. What was that like? You know what? It was complete disbelief. And so there actually investigations going on there and they've found out that it, it all was corruption. But we knew, we were told, well, I didn't know, I was, no one told me, but the coaches were told when I won my last 16 boot, they were told, go get help. From a Russian coach, go get help. Your boy's not going to win. And, and we have a Georgian head coach, and my father's the second. And the the Georgian was like, "What do you mean?" He says he's not going to win. He's he, he's going to lose. Says, your boy, my boy, will destroy your boy. He's like, "No, really, he's not going to win." Go get help. So they went and tried to get help, and they asked around everywhere. No one, no one was answering. No one was answering. And then we got a call back. They got a call back saying that, "No, it was too late. It was already done." 
and 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 is is it is it purely and simply because of money people are putting bets on? Um, no, nah, some of well, probably partly, but um, you know, the investigation recently has has said the corruption has been going on since like decisions have been made and and things have been done since maybe two thousand and four Olympics. So from way back then, you know, everything the way the way the score and everything has went. It's been all kind of corrupt. The judging systems has been has been bad, and it's Aiba. They're they're now doing a thorough investigation to try and clean out their whole thing and and, and fix it. But um, in my opinion, very very hard to fix. Um, but anyway, back to the story. Uh, yeah, they were told. Um, I went out. I remember my father saying to me the night before, "You know, if you can stop this guy, you you take him out." And my father's never said something like that. He just says, "Your skills box those." I was like, yeah, yeah, 100%. He says, no, you take him out if you can take him out. I was like, all right, no problem. Oh, I'll take him out. And then in the ring, I remember after the first round. So the first round, my, my family and all knew my family were there. And they says, going to the fight was like going to someone's funeral. They were like, in disbelief, they were like, no, it couldn't be. And they see me boxing the first round, and they were like, he's won this round. And they weren't truly believing it because it was just someone that said it, you know what I mean? And then they see me win the first, destroy him in the first round, box the age of him. And then I've lost the first round. And they're like, ah, oh, it's in, the fix is in. So uh, my father leaned over in the corner and says, you need to stop this, cunt, take him out. And even that, that I went out the second round and I almost had him out and the referee had separated us. And it, just kept, and it says in the, in the investigation, which is done recently, you know, it talks about the referee uh, of my faith and, and how, you know, she... No stopped, no action in play when you know, I was on top. So, yeah, when I was in the ring, I I still didn't know. I still wasn't told that there was corruption, but I I just fucking knew it. I knew it, and they the coaches obviously knew it a few days before, but obviously didn't want me to change my kind of game plan. How I would fight or you know hinder how I would perform. Um, and, and when I reacted, it was out of just pure emotion and honesty. You see these guys doing when they lose in Olympic Games or they lose, athletes lose. Everything's very scripted. It's very media trained, and and I had media training, and that's why in the interview when you say when you hear me saying I don't give a fuck if I'm cursing on TV, it's because the girl who does the media training was standing there, <laughs> the the public relations girl. She was standing there, and I looked at her when I said it. I was like, I don't give a fuck if I'm cursing on TV, and this went. But yeah, it was it was heartbreaking for me. My only goal. When I started boxing, was to be Olympic champion. Everything else is a bonus. You know, everything else is a bonus, and and I could have went pro after I won bronze in twenty twelve Olympics, which was unbelievable experience. I was only nineteen, um, or twenty, sorry. So it was like special. It was a special, special time, mm. and I waited because you know my uh, the coach, the head coach at the time, Billy Walsh, <coughs> said, you know, before before even twenty twelve, this isn't your games. You just you focus on just getting the good performance in. 2016 is your Olympics mm. So they didn't expect me to even win bronze there And I went and won bronze And then in 2016 I was so confident I was getting world number one Reigning world champion Number one seed you know, and, and for it to be taken away How it would be taken away was, was just disgusting I mean I don't like to pull my, my words either Or my punches And it's a fucking disgrace mm. Like literally Charlie told me actually When I trained with him uh, I think it was last week He said Um 
They look at to overturn a lot of decisions. Yeah. Yours, Joe Joyce, yeah. there's a few others. There's a few other things. There was about 11 fights, they were saying. But obviously the most notable will be in mind. Um, and what does that mean? If they overturn it, you get a goal? No, I think because it was a, a quarterfinal bout, the next fight would have been for the medal, for the bronze. Would have, would, uh, would have got your bronze and then you would have fought to get into the final. You know, for a minimum of silver, but Nikitin didn't fight. Mm. His next fight, he couldn't. He was he was too badly beat up that he couldn't make the semi final. So he didn't box in the semi final, and you know, I would have faced Chris Stevenson, who's a current world champion now, in the semi final, and he he went on to lose in the final to Robisio Ramirez, who actually beat me in the twenty sixteen Olympics, so or twenty twelve Olympics in the semi final. So um, now he's double gold medalist. So yeah. There, there would be an awful way to go to get me a gold medal, which you know I think you can't do because you don't know how the fights would have went. I believe I would have won them, won them at the time, one hundred percent. But now, now you, you're sitting here and you go, well, would he have? You know what I mean? You can't say I would have. So, mm. um, you def- I definitely won the bronze medal fight. So I think at least it should be a bronze. But you know, if if you wanted to push it, you could say he could have been an Olympic champion, give him the gold. Yeah. No, I couldn't see that happening. Yeah, I was saying it is, it is what it is, and uh, you can't change the past. You can definitely influence the f- yeah. uh, the future. And in some ways, it's kind of from a profile point of view, yeah. it shapes you definitely. to who you, who you are 100%. today. One hundred percent. You know, I think it helped an awful lot with my career. Listen, it could when when the gold probably would have added, you know, more zeros. You know, who knows? But um, I think in terms of being courted by promoters and stuff, I was probably one of the main guys from the from the 2016 Olympics, even though I didn't win any medals. Yeah, um, they wanted me because of you know everybody knew me. The world, I, I blew up overnight. I remember like my Twitter went from like fifteen thousand to like a hundred thousand within like a few minutes um, of the of the interview. My my Instagram shot up as well. It was, it was crazy. It was unbelievable. I was I was like. I was half delighted when I seen the reaction, but in the immediate aftermath, after I'd done the interview, I was I sat there in the gym room and I cried. And I said, I fucked up. I fucked up. No one's going to want to touch me. But I was wrong, because like, everybody wanted a part of that. I didn't know at the time. Mm. And when I seen everybody wanted a part of it, I decided to tweet Putin, didn't I? So I tweeted Putin, like, how much did you pay him? And, and it went viral. The tweet went viral. But like, I remember actually after I tweeted, I was like, because <laughs> someone's gonna come and like stick stick a stick a fucking pen at me and I'll yeah. fucking cyanide or something and kill me. So I was like, Jesus, what have I done? But it's just it's it went well. It worked out well and obviously led to like my pro career, which yeah. went went massive from the start. Um it's almost like if you're an athlete, even on like a reality TV or any any kind of form of being on TV. As an individual, it's kind of like, this is my perception again, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. It's almost like you've got to choose who you're going to be. Mm-hmm. Either you're going to be that dis- descriptive kind of person, yeah. like saying the stuff that you should say in front of TV. Yeah. And again, this is no disrespect to this this person because I don't know him, but it's the perception I get. Like an AJ, yeah. he says you've the got, certain you've things. Got, you've got an AJ and you've got a <coughs> taste and fury. And that, yeah, you've got someone who is... Someone who di- says what he wants and someone who says what he needs to say. got no script and yeah. he's got no filter and he will just say whatever he wants to say. And you have to kind of almost choose at the start. Yeah. 
And I was going to say like a Conor McGregor, a Floyd Mayweather. These are people that would just say what they need to say. And he's actually got them far higher being a bit authentic and organic, even if they rub people up the wrong way. Was that like a conscious choice that you made? No, it wasn't conscious. I think it's just me as a human being, uh, how I am. I think, you know, the interview was me at my most raw moment. You know, you've seen truly who I was in that interview. I spoke what I wanted to say. I was honest. I mm. didn't pull no punches. I, I said everything I needed to say about Aiva and what it was about. So, um, yeah, that's you, is it? Yeah, yeah. So it's just my uh, my doorbell going off. No worries. <laughs> um, but yeah, as like no, I said everything I needed to say. So I didn't pull no punches, and that was me. And that's why I always am. I'm an honest person. Yeah. If I don't like someone, you know. Have a, maybe have a reason why if I don't have a reason why I don't probably don't know them and it's probably small minded of me yeah but you know, if I don't like someone for a reason they'll know I don't like them and I'm not going to pretend not going to hate it I can't it's very hard for me to do so um, and if I like someone they'll know I really like them so, yeah Um, it's just I'm, I'm an honest person I, as you say uh, it's black and white here you know you, you either know what you're getting and, and you know what you're not getting yeah from me. so um. That was the way I was, and that was, that was just the, the character uh, and the person I wanted to be as a professional. I wanted to be myself. I didn't want to be anybody else. So walking out, uh, pro debut yeah. with, with Connor. Yeah. Did you know Connor before? So I think when I won the World Championship in 2015, he sent me like a big message, you know, like congratulating me and stuff, and we ended up staying in touch from then, and, you know, he was having the Nate Diaz rematch, and I got him the sparring partners he needed for Nate Diaz rematch, and he ended up winning that fight and stuff, so... We kind of got a relationship throughout there. Now I brought the spawn partner down, Connor Wallace, who went over to and they bring him over to Vegas and stuff, and had a, like a whole twelve week camp with him. So, um, yeah, that's how I kind of got to know him, uh, and then we just stayed in touch. And then he was doing an event in Belfast in twenty the end of twenty sixteen December, and I was invited up to the event, and I was invited up onto the stage and I sat there and talk with him. And I just see my opportunity. I says like, there's a few thousand people here. Had a few drinks and he says, I'm gonna just put it on him here and see if he'll walk me out. And I did, and he, and he just says, Yep, no problem, I'll walk out with you. So I was like, Fucking burn it, you know what I mean? I kind of forced him in the corner though, like in front of thousands of people. Yeah, and so he walked me out and spot it, and he says 100%. And then, you know, obviously, the way it all, way Mate, it all worked out, it's I, I resonate with that because it's no different to how I am with podcasting. I, if I want to interview someone, I, I, I always think to myself, If I don't ask that person in that moment, this is, I'm probably leaning towards Aaron now. Eh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, then I, I may miss the opportunity. And, it, you know, life is all about sales. Like this business here, really and truly, when you strip it all back, what is it? It's sales. That's what you've got to do. Yeah. You're selling yourself as a fire. I'm selling myself as a podcaster. I'm selling myself as an art dealer. Like you've got, to, you, you've got to have that confidence in order to ask. Mm. Um, you've always had this, well, it appears you've always had this confidence. Is that come from the family? Is it all come from boxing? It comes from my mum. My mum has always been someone who's, you know, set little little things in my head. They kind of have that self-confidence. She's always told me I'm unbelievable. She's just like from, from a young age. When The Secret first came out. Yeah, loved The Secret. On, she was always on me, read this, read this, read this, and tell me there's no... no Lake attracts lake, no positive man, so all that stuff. And I was always like, shush, no, I don't want to hear it. Like, I don't care. Like, whatever you say about this book and all this. But I started to take it on board. Like, I always took the confidence stuff on board. And plus, with my brothers and my father and stuff, 
my my two of my two older brothers always tell me I was the best out of all of us. You know that always was like you know people I look up to. You know there are people, my my oldest brother Jamie was always someone who I wanted to be like. So I was like he's in love with me. I, I must be good. You know what I mean? So yeah, they were always setting them little you know seeds in my head. Um, but the secret kind of really came into my life. In 2015, when I ended up winning the World Championships, I won the Europeans, I won the Worlds, I qualified for 2016 mm. Olympics twice. Um, and it was unbelievable. It was I started to read The Secret and I started to say, like, I already am world champion. You know, I'm not, wor- I'm not worried. I am world champion. What's what's going on? Um, and I ended up talking, you know, speaking in the existence, kind of making it come true. And, yeah, it was just I kind of started to build that own self-confidence even more and more and more. And that's led me to where I am now. Mm. You know, I still read the secret. I still still have that positive mindset. You know, the the law of attraction, all that stuff. That's all a big part of my life. Still, there's a my book is I think it's next door. I'll show you after this interview. Every single day, I write down my affirmations, mm-hmm. and I write it like I've already achieved it. Um, because I believe if you write it down and then you say it out yeah. loud, which is an incantation, yeah. you manifest it. And I think it's so important. I think it's something that. When people don't understand it, they go, oh, it's a load of rubbish. But yeah. the people that understand it and live by it, it actually shapes a life for the better, for good. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree 100%. And you're right about the people who don't do it, look at it and go, oh, it's full of shit. I was the same. I was the same it's, uh, for a long time. I was the same. My mum said I was brainwashed. When I used to do it, she'd go, yeah. why are you doing that? You're brainwashed. Um because it, it was something completely alien to her. And I found all of this stuff out getting into sales. Because in sales, it is all about positive mindset, yeah, yeah. work hard, and just become the best version of yourself. Hence why I was uh, exposed to the secret. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's 100%. You're right. People who don't understand their value, <clears throat> then they'll look at it and they'll frown upon it going, it's full of shit. Yeah. Full of shit. But I, I do believe it. I do have a lot of faith in it. And, you know, it is the law of attraction, the law of the universe, and and how things work, and how things have probably always worked. Yeah, for sure. So just relive at that moment. You're walking out, yeah. walking out for arena. They call it a mecca boxing in yeah. New York in yeah. Madison Square Garden. You got Conor McGregor there. With, I think it was like a green kind of mink, yeah. mink Gre- jacket. Green mink. He had the, had yeah. the Gucci mink on uh, <laughs> with the Irish flag. The Irish flag. It was it was mental. So actually, bring you back to the change room. I remember I was getting my hand drops. My first pro fight now in their box for all my life. I've sold out the M- I've sold out MSG in my debut. That's mental. In a, in a six round fight, a six round fight. I'm selling MSG. So I'm going. What the fuck? What the fuck happens if I lose here? Fuck <laughs> me! I sold out. I'm shit myself. <laughs> Next minute, McGregor comes in the stream with all his all his kind of posse kind of thing. Like an entourage. Entourage, yeah. full entourage, and. It's like the whole room is like lit up. It's talking. Now he's saying all this. He's saying like, it's a fucking blur. Nah, looking at it. I was getting my hand dropped. I don't think I warmed up. I'd done a little bit of pause before I went out and he was there talking. It was complete blank. It was, if I was to go back, I wouldn't do it the way I would do it. Uh, where, where it happened, I would say, listen, I'll meet you at the walkout. Don't be coming in this room because it was just too mental. And I remember walking out and he's saying all things and then, as soon as the doors open, like I was shit myself. But as soon as them doors open, I'm home, and that's that's where it has always been for every single walkout. I'm nervous right up until I start to walk, and when I started to walk, it's just like bang, you're here. That's it, you know. 
You're so in your I, element. I, I love it. I love it. I feed off that that energy. To use all that energy, gain it all. Now on the debut, that's when he announced. Actually, he was announced at the boxing world. He is boxing. He's the same. I am boxing. That's how he started the the the, the Mayweather fight and stuff. So, mm. um, obviously, I had a part in that. You know what I mean. <laughs> if you can throw me a few million, I'd be happy enough. <laughs> but um, oh, it was it was it was mental. The fate itself. I remember I, I told everybody, I told everybody. I said, "Listen, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop this guy in the third round." And a lot of people backed it, so I was like, "I've got to stop this guy in the third round." I put so much pressure on myself. And if you see in the third round, I've run out and I just try to stop him. I rush everything. I could have probably cleaned him out if I had it. Just took my time, but I just tried to stop it and get it done. And I ended up getting it in the third round, so thank God. <laughs> thank God. Ch- Charlie um, Charlie says something to me <clears throat> and uh, uh, when I'm boxing with him. And I've realised now where it come, it's come from because I've watched that very fight. Yeah. And I t- I'll tell you what, what he says. Slow is smooth. Yeah. Smooth is fast. Yeah. And I used to think, that's a fucking cool saying, mate. And I, I used to give Charlie all the credit for it. Yeah. I was thinking, yeah. It's my, yeah, it's fucking McGregor. It's, McGregor. it's Conor McGregor. He McGregor. said it. So because I noticed he said it to you yeah. in the ring. And I thought, yeah. the penny dropped. I was like, yeah. Charlie the rascal, man. Yeah. He's dropping all these bars. <laughs> and um, he's really got it from uh, Conor McGregor. Oh, it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Oh, it's McGregor's got it from someone as well. But yeah. when, when he dropped it in there... Yeah, it was like, oh, that's a good saying. Very I good. wish I had have took it on board more instead of just trying to <coughs> rush, rush my work. Yeah. Um, which I did in that fight. And looking back on it, the performance itself was a bad performance. It was just just too rushed, too, too you know, listen, I had my pro week. I had, you know, thousands of people that watched me and I saw it at MSG. I wanted to get the job done. I yeah. didn't want to go to points. I wanted to get them out, and ple- especially because I was calling in the media for ages, the third round. I'm going to do them in the third round, third round. So when I went for it, it was just a bit mental. Yeah. So you're 16 and 0, and I believe eight knockouts so far. Yeah. yeah. So basically half of your yeah. half of your fights, you're, you're stopping people, knocking them out. Yeah. Uh, what's going to be next for you? Well, it seems that my next fight... On paper was uh, against Lee Wood for the WBA world title. I'm current WBA interim champion. Um, <coughs> but I just seen yesterday actually that Lee Wood uh, had a shoulder operation. So it looks like that fight will be pushed back to St. Patrick's Day. But in the meantime, I think I'm still going to fight in December. Yeah. No, I still think I, I, I'll have a fight in December to keep me busy. And then I'll go out and I'll fight Lee Wood and uh, box the urgent. Yeah, the um, going back to the Vladimir uh, Nikitin. I had to pronounce that name a few times. Um, you obviously so his name is pronounced Nikitin. Nikitin. But, you know, I always call him Nikitin because you know it's bad for your health. <laughs> um, you obviously fought him as a pro. Yeah, and it was in recent fights, wasn't it? It's like a redemption fight, right? Yeah, yeah. It was, it was twenty in the twenty nineteen December twenty nineteen. Oh really? I thought uh, it was this year for some reason. These these years are just the, blending the, into the, one. Uh, they are December twenty nineteen. I fought uh, in MSG on the Terence Crawford undercard. Um, was that always planned to fight him? Yeah, listen. Since he once top rank only signed him for me to get the redemption, and uh, you know I did. I got it in New York. I beat him over ten rounds. Almost had him out in the eighth. But you know what? It's not Nikitin's fault the decision went to him. 
and I actually really like him as a person. He's a lovely man. Um, always messages me, always like thumbs up, and like I think you know, him being Russian, people think no, they're all Russian. And he looks like a big angry guy, baldy heads, really small, stocky thing. Looks really angry, but he's actually really, um, really nice, really sound, and I think. You know, in the build up to the rematch and, and from twenty sixteen Olympics, obviously he's here and no he got the decision it was a robbery, it was cheating, all this here and you know, he's probably going, Well, that's my greatest achievement and, and it's probably hard for him to live with without being said all the time. And even at that he's just like I remember like in the build up I was trying to do everything to annoy him, get under his skin, talking and he was like he was still sending me like thumbs up under my stories and stuff and like <laughs> Too, too nice <laughs> and then after he kind of says okay finish now finish finish no like the, the thing in me I was listening it was never personal it's never personal and I gave him a hug and, uh, and wished him all the best and, yeah you know I really like him as a person and like if it comes to it and they say listen we're going to have to take Vladimir's bronze medal of him and give you it I would say nah listen not his fault you can't do that it's unfair yeah what's happened's happened you know what i mean um i wouldn't want his his best achievement to be taken away from because of aiba being corrupt it's you know it's not his fault as you said yeah his fault and he just is a a a really nice man in a moment i want to talk about when you first started your career because as a pro because it was in america and now you're over here at boxing booth and i want to talk about like how the culture is slightly different yeah. and how your style has evolved because of that. Yeah. I want to round off this last part uh, because I read something even earlier today um, just about the relationship with Conor McGregor. Yeah. You saying about, or me even observing that your your character is very black and white, you know, there's, you know, you say it how it is. What I write about you is, obviously Conor McGregor's a big profile, obviously a friend of yours, yeah. w- walked out with you, but you was even still saying the truth, which was yeah. when you were asked about him fighting Mayweather, yeah. you said, it's different sport, Mayweather's going to beat him. Yeah. And then he seemed to sort of kind of disappear and yeah. stop communicating with you. Yeah. Um, have you ever spoken to him about that since? Or? I haven't really ever spoken about it, but I know that you know, from then, we kind of have become more distant. Um, I still, I was still chatting and stuff the old time, but um, no, nothing the way I probably would it, it, it would have been if I had been, you know, on that you know the hip training and, and feeding the ego kind of thing. But as I said, it's a different sport. I think you know if I was to say he was going to beat Floyd, I, w- I would be landing myself. You know, he he put on a fantastic performance. Don't get me wrong, but you know Floyd Mayweather has Floyd Mayweather. You know he hasn't lost the the greatest boxers of our time. Yeah. So it was no, there was nothing leading me to think that you no know, Connor was going to beat him. So I wasn't going to go out there and uh, 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 and lie, you know. If if I'd done that, I wouldn't be treating myself. Yeah, makes sense. Um, on that note, who is the boxer or someone someone that you look up to in boxing? Who's like kind of influenced you? Manny Pacquiao. Manny Pacquiao. He's just retired. Um. I was honoured enough to fight on his undercard in my third fight in exactly in Australia. He lost to Jeff Horn. Um, but he's someone who, you know, from I was young, I've always loved. And you know, how he is with his people, and how, how his people support him, is something that, you know, I, I'm actually happy I have a kind of element of that 
Yeah. Got my own support, my own people, my Irish people who follow me all over the world and they all support me and they all talk. So, um, yeah, I, I loved how he is with, with, with his, with his, with his nation. Yeah. So you started in America and then you c- came over here to start training with Adam Booth. Um, how come you made your decision to start in America? So when I seen it with Top Rank, the idea was to build me in America because usually, you know, you'd be the big fish in a small pond and then you go to the big pond. But what they wanted me to do, they wanted to build me in the big pond and then bring me back to the small pond and let's see what mm. see, how, see what way it works. So they wanted to flip the script on how it's usually done. Um, so I says, okay, well, if I'm going to be based in America, if I'm going to be fighting in America most, I'll base myself in America. So I moved to me, my missus, my daughter. My son wasn't born at the time, so my daughter was only two. We moved to uh, Southern California, um, Marie Del Rey, right beside Santa Monica, beautiful lifestyle. You know, it was like, you were living, I was living like a few doors off from Janet Jackson, that wow. type of thing. It was like, you know, it was, it was, it was expensive. <laughs> it was very expensive. Um, but How many was, years was you there? Just one year, one okay. year. So I done my first year as a pro out there. I planned to stay for three, but I realized after year one that you know my style and stuff was not how I wanted to be. I started to kind of. I was in the gym with with Mexican coaches and Mexican fighters, and you know, uh, you know, it was predominantly Mexican there. So um, I started to fight too much when I know my bread and butter is using my skills and my boxing ability and so I started to kind of get into the wrong the wrong kind of you know routine of you know, every spar was a war there was no learning and I thought that you know I, I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't be doing this um the way I'm doing it I need to get back to my boxing um so I started to think about what, what was going to be the best choice for me and then my partner Shauna she was pregnant again so I says, listen, this is going to be for an already now. I sleep in the opposite room because I'm in training camp basically the whole year round. Um, I'm not there much because I'm in the gym twice a day, every single day. We're going to need a bit more help, a bit more support system. We're in LA. There's no one, no family, no Irish. There's not very little Irish people in LA. There's no kind of no routine for us to kind of have people that have a support system around us. So I says, it's going to be better for us to move back to the UK. Um, in Ireland, and I, I says the only coach I'll train with in in the UK is Adam. It's whether or not Adam would want to train me. So I had to go home. Uh, when they said to go back, you know, I I decided that I needed to try him out, and so I went and done like a, a trial with him. And at the end of the week, I knew it was the coach for me. He he brought me back to what I do best, and that's using my skill set. Because. Um my my take on like in America, but certainly the Mexicans, and they're known for this being very very strong, tough people, yeah. comfortable fighters, and <clears throat> is nice, it nicest people in the world as lovely. well. Lovely, nicest people yeah. in the world as well. And, and and I still, I'm still friends with my my old coach um, Manny Robles, who actually trained uh, Andy Ruiz to beat Anthony Joshua. All right. So uh, yeah, like that gym at the time was was unbelievable. We had you know, Oscar Valdez, we had Jesse Magdaleno. Um, and many are the top top fighters. All the the Benavides brothers, they were coming in and doing sessions, and you know, it's a hot bit of boxing. You know, all the best guys in the world end up kind of Southern California to do some training camps or do something. Uh, so you're getting the best of training all the time. And even the guys who are not the world champions are are are, are kind of you know club fighters, so to say. 
they're unbelievable as well. They're really tough, you know what I mean? So the level of work and the level of sparring was unbelievable. Um, so I, I learned an awful lot. I learned a different style. I learned that Mexican style of boxing. Um, but I thought towards the end that, you know, I, I don't need to be doing this too long because there were some of the guys who I seen who were in wars every day in sparring who were this guy at the start of the year and by the end of the year they were not the same. Yeah, fucked. Yeah. Brain damage. Well, uh, today, no, not today, yesterday, but I promoted it today on my Instagram. I interviewed Tris Dixon. Yeah. And uh, he obviously has got the f- uh, book damaged. Yeah. And we spoke m- a lot about the book and also about yeah. the. Because um, even start, I started thinking about myself. I'm not a pro and yeah. I'm not planning to go pro, yeah. but I love sparring. It's my favorite thing. Like on a Friday, I normally go sparring. And yeah. then sometime, well, before my second son was born, I was going on a Sunday to spar. Uh, you know Dan Morley and Jermaine and people like that and there were a few times I come out I come out from a Sunday and think I I feel slightly sick because of a blow to the head Mm. and you kind of as a boxer and as an alpha male you're like I'll be all right I'll be sweet and then when I started speaking to Tris Dixon I was thinking there could be some long-term damage there you know and I think with the um with the Mexican style fighting they're horrible to fight because they just keep them coming forward but you can hit them in the head a lot. Yeah, they have shorter careers. Um, and, you know, like as I said, I've seen, I seen one of the kids who was this guy at the start of the year, so fresh, young, talented. By the end of the year, he just wasn't the same. He wasn't there. Mm-hmm. At the start of the year, he was actually competitive enough. By the end of the year, I was I was almost knocking him out in his barn. Mm. Was, I had to stop because he was gone in the ring. And after I spoke to him and he was crying, I was like, don't worry about it. This is sparring. It happens, you know. Yeah. Thing. I ended up losing one of his fights again recently after. He ended up getting knocked out. But, yeah, listen, it's a very, very, like, people look at boxing and go, wow. And people do say it's very, yes, and brain damage. And They're not lying, in a sense, because, you know, I understand the risks of boxing. That's why my style is my style. I don't want to be hit. <laughs> I don't like being hit. I, I, I box the ears of people because that's how I know. You know, I have more longevity in the sport. That's how I know my health is going to be okay because I choose the style I want to have. I don't I don't want to have that Mexican kind of style where, you know, you are shifting shots and, you know, if you had a, how much punches does a, does a, a boxer who's boxed from, you know, seven years of age to 30, 30 32, mm. how much punches have you took in their lifetime? Yeah. How much punches have I took now? You know, I have hundreds of fights. I've had hundreds of fights in the amateurs. I've had hundreds, thousands Thousands of spars, you know. I don't know how much times I've sparred, but like you've been hit in the head a lot of times there. Yeah. Um, who's not to say there's there, there's not there's not an effect on you? Of course there will be. Of course there will be. This yeah. Not, may not be the way a lot of people are. It might be minimal. Yeah. But there definitely is. I always say like when you go into a boxing ring, you actually aren't the same person when you leave, because no matter what, if you get hit once, you've lost brain cells there. Of course. One shot, is lo- you're losing, I think maybe you, you have millions of, fucking trillions of probably brain cells, you know what I mean? But you're losing loads there as soon as you get touched once. So, same as hitting the ball and all, you know, people are losing brain cells that way, but, yeah. it's, but it's different, you know, when you're getting hit, just force more forceful and stuff. Um, so, it's something you gotta, you gotta think about. It's, it's one of the reasons I say, nah, my son doesn't need to do it, you know, I've mm. lost enough, I've lost enough brain cells from yeah. my son. Um I hard explain boxing a lot of the time is you're selling brain cells. Yeah. You know I mean, you're selling them for people's entertainment. Yeah. 
And then you see people, no, he's a born fighter. People say with me all the time, I'm a born fighter. I do not give two fucks if you say I'm a born fighter because I know what I'm doing. Mm. I mean, I'm getting in, I'm getting the bag and getting the fuck out. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, so uh, talking about your career where you are now with boxing, boxing booth, Adam Booth. First time I ever met Adam Booth, um, going back a few years now, I think it must have been about 2013, 14. Yeah. He was with David Hay and he had George Groves. And the reason why I was down the old former haymaker, I used to sponsor, you might know this fighter, Sam Webb, used yeah, to be yeah. British champion, yeah, yeah. and Bradley Skeet, yeah. who retired and then obviously came, he's now you know, back in Sheffield and, and, and coming back. <clears throat> now at the time, Sam was getting ready for Prince someone. I can't remember his, his name. Anyway, it escapes me. Yes, I remember the guy. I know who and he had a war in that yeah, fight, and he yeah. actually lost. Um, but he went down there to spar George Groves. And I remember watching George Groves. Like I've, se- I've said this plenty of times on my podcast. When you watch a boxer at a high level fight on TV, you're obviously in awe. But it's when you go down to the gym and you watch him spar. And I saw George Groves dismantle about four guys back to back with no break sparring. And I'm like, oh my God. This guy is an absolute machine. It was, it, was, it was amazing to watch. And then I just saw the relationship he had with Adam. And it seems like Adam really get, commands the respect from his fighters yeah. and there's this kind of bond. Yeah. I mean, how, how genuine is that? How, how real is that? How, you know, is that with all fighters or just a few of them? Um, it's with me, <coughs> definitely. Um, yeah, he, he, he gains the bond with fighters. He knows, he knows what to say, when to say, he knows how, you know, he knows when to pull the reins in or let you go. So yeah, he has a great understanding of, of, you know, fighters, of human beings. And, you know, he know he, he, he understands the fighter and the person. And that's a lot of, the, that's a big difference in most coaches because most coaches only think about the fighter, but you need to think about the person because the person makes the fighter. So if you understand what's going on outside someone's life and, and how they are as a person, it's very easy to, to train them and, and, and know what way to work with them as the fighter. So he, that's something he's very good at. He's good at understanding both the person and the fighter. And once you can figure that stuff out, the training should be easy enough. You know what I mean? He's a, what he does in training, he's, he's a genius. I think I think his boxing brain is, is unbelievable. He's got, he's got a great eye for spotting things and learning things and, he is a coach who always is learning. Mm. He's not a coach who's stuck in his ways. He's always learning and trying to develop, doing different things. I think with, I think my style of fighting is actually different to a lot of the fighters who he's trained because he's got them big, you know, the one punch kind of guys like your your, your George Groves, your your David Hayes and stuff. But I think with me, he's had to kind of maybe think it a bit more. And work on different stuff. The inside fighting out there. I know he, he's worked on that before, but you know, there's more kind of more focus on on, on that stuff with with my state. Obviously, we've been a switch hitter as well. It's probably something different for him. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's 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 been great. I have a great bond with Adam. Great bond with Adam. What I like about him as well is he never seems to lose his cool wow. in the corner. Calm he's always clear. calm, methodical, mm. and very very clear with his instruction. And I think the fighter picks up on that a lot more than go out there and destroy him. Do you, do some, you know what I mean? Some fighters like the shirt and stuff, but I hate it. I'll be honest, you know, for me from, from day one, it's always been calm in the corner. And even when my father, you know, was in the corner, he was always calm. And Adam is very, very calm in the corner. And it's something that I, 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 I think I need in my corner. I like in my corner. I don't like, you no, know, 
you need to go out and take him out. If something says like you need to take him out, just say calmly, you don't need to shoot it at me, I'll do it. You know yeah. what I mean? So um no, he's very good in the corner. His instructions are always very clear and you kinda know you can you can get a read off him about how he's feeling about it. You know, he can if if he wants urgency, you can read that off him. You know, he, he kind of he's an open book in that sense when you're in the when you're in the corner. So um and he's honest. That's the main thing. When you have to be honest in this game. So he's an honest he's an honest coach. If he tells you he's not gonna tell me, Listen, you look brilliant there. You tell me you were shit there, you know what I mean? If I was crap sparring, he'd say, Nah, it wasn't good. It was shit. That's and, and that's what you want. You don't want someone to go on. Ah, yes, man. Yes, 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 yes. Fantastic, 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 fantastic. No, don't want that. I want someone to be honest with me. Tell me I'm crap when I'm crap. Tell me I'm great when I'm great. Yeah, you need someone who's going to be integral. Tell me I'm good when I'm great. Don't tell me I'm great. Yeah. No, I mean, just let, let me let me be let me be me. But just be honest. The last part of this uh, conversation is about you know um, building yourself as a business person, profile, social media, etc. Because I know you've been outspoken about certain things. Yeah. I, I know I touched on earlier about suicides and mental yeah. health and that kind of stuff. And obviously with the pandemic, it's really escalated. You know, people lost their jobs. People turned to drink drugs. They self-harm and all that kind of stuff. Um, you, you said something where after that fight um, from the Olympics, you went back and you thought that you had kind of messed up your own profile in a way. But in actual, actual fact, it, it reversed. So being a young man from a very, very small part of the world, mm. but being in something so so large and then you got a massive following, mm. how did you deal with that? Because people are going to be throwing you all kinds of comments from great to not so great. Mm. How did you deal with that as a person? I think you know, it was tough um, in the sense that, you know, I was reading the negative stuff and I was, re- and I was reading the positive. But, uh, but if you're going to read the positive, you're going to read the negative. And mm. that's something that I've kind of learned to kind of, not do I try not to read any of people's comments because the only people's comments that really ever matter is the people who are close to you yeah the people who care for you um everybody else's comments are really irrelevant whether they are, whether they are good or whether they are bad they are irrelevant they don't mean fuck all so um it took me time to understand that so you know it was ups and downs you're reading things and sometimes you know you read a thousand good comments but you read one bad comment and you stick on the bad comment and that's so annoying so I stopped, I've just stopped reading things like that and trying that too. But obviously sometimes you still do. Mm. But that was that was one of the hard things of just trying to focus where my, where my mind was going. I just tried to read all the good stuff at times and not read any of the bad, but you do come across it. So yeah, it was tough. It was tough mentally to kind of get over that stuff. But with everything that went on after after the games, with like the pro contracts, or I was going to Vegas, but then... I'd, I realized that my Vegas trip had changed into a business meeting with top rank, <coughs> and then they were booking me bloody business class flights home, all this here stuff. So I was like, "Fantastic, you know what I mean? This is this has just worked out well." So yeah. I was I was just the immediate the immediate down kind of shot up like that. So I was down. I was like down. Well, I was down the dumps for a while because of I lost lost my my lifetime goal, um, but kind of blocked that out and just went up because of the, you know, everything that happened, how everything just started to snowball about the professional career. Because it was going pro anyway. I wasn't staying amateur. I was going pro. It was My dream was taken away. But um, I just reset my goals. And, and I think even if you listen to the interview after, you know, I say something like, no, you know, I'm, a lo- I'm not a loser. I'm a winner. And I'll, I'll, I'll have a great career ahead of me. And 
kind of turned the negative into a positive right away. And that was that kind of positive mentality, that mindset right away. I flipped it in the probably the worst state I've ever felt emotionally. I was able to flip that right away into something positive. Mayweather done it when he uh, got the bron- bronze uh, in, in that Olympics and then he immediately turned into uh, a pro. Yeah. And obviously he went on to have 50 and 0, so you can yeah. de- definitely do it. Sometimes you need them things to happen yeah. in order to kick on. Do you know, like... You just mentioned earlier about you got a promotions company, Condon Promotions, is it? Yeah. Condon Boxing, yeah. So <clears throat> the business side of boxing, um, because typically a career for a boxer is what, 30, 35, 40 maybe sometimes yeah, if, if you're heavyweight. If you're heavyweight yeah. uh, but really and truly, what, 32, 33 maybe. Yeah. yeah um, yes. You know, you're, you're meant to achieve everything you want to achieve, yeah. earn the amount of money and... Some yeah, people well. think that you can just survive on that for the rest of your life, but really and truly, Can't. you need yeah. to start setting up business. It's a point not 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 one percent that will probably be able to do it. So yeah, you need to have kind of things set up for for whatever's next. Um, um, and escape plans, you know, exit routes. You need to have them kind of set up. And obviously now with with Conlon boxing, that is that is one way which I plan to do so. You know, managing and promoting fighters. And you know it's it's taken off. Our first show was was my last fight um, at Belfast in the field. You know we were restricted to the eight thousand people, but you know we sold it in like you know minutes basically. So um, an unbelievable event. We have another event coming up here on November fifth in Belfast as well. I think like ninety percent of the tickets are sold already. Nice. Um, so it's going really well. It's going well. Um, my brother, I'll be honest, my brother's handled most of it at the minute. I'm involved in pockets, but you know he wants me to focus on my career. So he's kind of he's at the, he's at the reins at the minute. But yeah, we both have say we've have two fighters who we're going to be saying, which I can't mention yet. But uh, we'll mention them soon enough. How long do you think you're going to stay boxing for? Next three more years. Next. Really? That that soon? Next. Cool. I was I was expecting longer. Well, I'm, yeah. I'm, well, I'm 30 next month. Um, Suppose so, yeah. 30 next month. I've always said 32, but it says I'll give myself another year with a pandemic, kind of withholding things, stopping things, because it should be world champion already if it wasn't for the bloody pandemic. So, um, This was a question I was going to ask you, actually. Yeah. With a few of your fights being cancelled or rescheduled yeah. over, since 2019, how have you coped with that? You know what? The first kind of... So my first fight was... Ca- Everything shut down. Basketball in America shut down the week of my fight in MSG on St. Patrick's Day 2020. I was in New York. It was Wednesday. I was fighting on the Saturday, I think. Bang. Everything cancelled. Gotta go home. Not getting a fight. Not getting paid. So I went home anyway. I was half delayed because it means I didn't have to make weight. So I was like... This is a bit sorry, like I can eat what I want now. So end up flying back home in lockdown, didn't know when I was gonna fight again. Mm. And just kind of get into this mad training routine that like, where I was never into, like you no, know, like just training out of camp. My weight and everything just started to drop down. I was just in a really good mindset. Like you know, I I'll be honest, the first the first lockdown of, you know, coronavirus and all that was an unbelievable thing for me. It, it just it, it changed me as a person. It changed my mindset. I always thought after boxing, I'd become really fat 
and you know just like us oh, i don't care but that first lockdown made me realize that i won't because you know when there's nothing else next i realize when there's something next you know i try to eat as much as i can before i have to start losing again yeah and that's kind of a, a vicious routine i probably have I probably have problems with food, you know what I mean? You know, uh, like uh, mentally, you know, subconsciously, you know, I have, you know, some some problems which I, I'll need to figure out. But I think when boxing ends, they'll be gone because there is nothing next, and you don't need to make weight. So yeah, you don't want to eat everything. You just you eat normal. I read um, um, you've got into cooking. I can, uh, I can bake. I'm a bake. Not not cooking. I can bake. Uh, I can bake cakes. If you need me to bake a cake, <laughs> I can bake any cake you want. But uh, that happened in the lockdown. Yeah, got into baking. Um, get in the cycling, get in the loads of stuff, and yeah, I end up fighting. I had one fight that year. Um, I would have had two, only you know, around the 20th, I think it was the 20th mm. of October. Was it last year? Oh, it was last year. Um, I got my ankle in, in, the, in the gym, so I was meant to fight in the December. Um, but that could cancel, and then I didn't have a fight till April this year, and then I have my second one in August, and now I have my third again in December. So you, you're going to be 30, you know, young man still, yeah. going to be fighting for the next two or three years, maybe maybe a little bit longer, yeah. um, certainly going to become a world champion, ho- hopefully yeah. multiple, uh, maybe weight world champion, yeah. potentially. Um, <clears throat> after that, though, I know you've got your promotions company, but mm-hmm. what other goals have you got over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Yeah, property is, a, is another thing I'm in. Um, you know, I want to I wanna get, get as much property as I possibly can. Start to kind of cut different routes in, um, different different routes of income coming into build your asset asset column, build, build, build the assets and stuff. So that's all things I've been doing slowly over the last few years, um, and hopefully that will be the type of things you know when when I'm done boxing to just keep me afloat. And you know if there's other routes there, if there's TV work or anything like that, you no, know, I don't mind doing things like that. But yeah, I I, I think. The management, the promotional side of things, and the property side of things will be will be my my focus. Yeah, well, me and my business partner, so we got this, and we also got a property company. So all the profits from here go into the property company. We're building that. I think it's such a important thing for younger people to learn because I think the first skill is to earn the money. Yeah. The second skill is to keep the money. And I think if you're blowing it on yeah. the flash cars or yeah, the, the lifestyle, me. before you know it, you're back to square one. No, that's not me. That's not me. Not a, not a flash kind of guy really. I do like some some nice cars and stuff, but you know what? I sit with Arn and we we sit and look at cars and we go, oh, I'll get that there, I'll get this. And then I would, why the fuck am I gonna get that? Just put that on a house? Why, yeah. why, would, I, why would I? Why would I waste that money? Because you know they they're uh, they're more liabilities than assets. Of course, they're, yeah. They're, they're not good to have. So, um, no, I've recently just recently just purchased you know kind of my, my my dream home. So. Good for you, man. Yeah, I'm delighted. Is that back in Ireland? Back in Ireland. Yeah, I wicked. Live anywhere else in the world. Yeah, lovely. Well, um, to conclude this part, this part, it's um, it's all about when you're buying your your liabilities, you want to buy it for your for your assets essentially. So if you want the Lamborghinis or Ferraris, yep. get it through that kind of stuff. Um, where can people find you, uh, Mick? Yeah, on my social medias on Instagram and Twitter, it's just Mick Conlon Eleven. <clears throat> I'm not on Facebook, but there is like a Facebook page, uh, maybe a common boxer, I think it is. Or something. Like a fan page. Like a fan page, but I'm not on Facebook. It does my head on. Oh, all right. um, you probably heard me say this to Dan and Harlan on my podcast. It's something I always end, end with. 
So I come up with a mantra when I first got into business for myself, which goes like this, be happy, never content. Yeah. I built a gym in my house in the pandemic or outside and I've got it actually plastered up on the wall. So when I'm training, I read it all the time to keep me focused. Yeah. I've got my own interpretation of it. If I were to ask you, Mick, what does be happy, never content mean to you? It's a hard one. Um, being happy for me is being around my family. I'm a family man. I love my family. And if I, if I didn't have anything, I know I always have my family, so... Yeah, that's that's me being happy, but it's also at the same time being content. That so, that's a hard question. Mm-hmm. You gotta give me time to think about that one. <laughs> um, you're always striving to, to to reach the highest goals you can possibly reach, getting yourself out of your comfort zone all the time, but being surrounded by the people you love. Top man, you've been an absolute gent. Thank you so much for uh, giving up your time and um, you know sharing some of your stories and being an open book. More importantly, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please uh, follow uh, Mick and uh, watch, watch out for his next fights and definitely subscribe to what he's doing and, and, and go to the fights. And uh, yeah, be happy, never content, and uh, look forward to sharing some more information soon. Cheers. Mm-hmm.